0: said before that America was a nation of immigrants. And to understand the experience of immigrants in the 1920s, you need to understand the different waves of immigration that come into the country. To start with, America is empty. It's a new land. It's a land of opportunity. And you have the Native Americans, the First Nations. They're the only people there. And then you get the Western Europeans, Northern and Western Europeans. They're from Germany, England, Norway, France. And they start to fill up and move westward, this thing called Manifest Destiny, this idea that it is the destiny of these white Anglo-Saxon Protestant settlers to claim this land. And that concept of white Anglo-Saxon Protestants is quite important. This is the term wasp. And you're going to hear this a lot. The old settlers, the first arrivals, are wasps. And they are, as the name suggests, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Because they are setting the basic cultural template for America, what that means is that anybody else who comes in and settles later who is the same as them, will find it a lot easier to acclimatise, a lot easier to merge into the culture. So any further immigrants who are white Anglo-Saxon Protestants will settle in, and they will disappear into this overall morass of America. But anybody who is not white, anybody who is not Anglo-Saxon, anybody who is not Protestant, is going to stand out like a sore thumb. And you see this before the 1920s. You see it with the Asian immigrants coming into California due to the gold rush. Most of these are Chinese, but you do get some Japanese as well. And this leads to an outbreak of racial prejudice and discrimination on the West Coast. And this is going to be something that you're going to see again and again as the 1920s go on. But it is worth remembering that it starts early. Now, once you hit the 1920s, or I should say the early 1900s, you start to get a new form of immigration. People fleeing from persecution, political and religious, in Eastern and Southern Europe. Now the key things here is this. People from Eastern and Southern Europe, firstly, will look different. People from Southern Europe will have darker skins, olive complexions, and they will sound different. They will have significantly different names. They will have significantly different languages. Perhaps, most importantly, they're not Anglo-Saxon. They physically look different, and they are not Protestant. They are usually Catholic if they're from southern Europe, or they're orthodox if they're from the east. And this makes it very difficult for them to merge into the background. It makes it very difficult for them to slip in unnoticed. And what this means is that even if immigration was staying steady, people would notice it more because they can see it more. They are more aware of it. But immigration is not staying steady. Immigration is rising. And is rising for a number of reasons, as we've already discussed. There's people running away from persecution. And that means a lot of these people are politically undesirable to America. They are socialists. They are anarchists. They are communists. This feeds into the Red Scare in the early 1920s. The Red Scare is a fear of communism, a fear of socialism. Remember, we're only a couple of years after Russia was ripped apart by the Russian Revolution and the communists seized power. And also remember that communism, socialism, is seen as a disease, something that can be spread, something that is infectious. So people are very, very afraid there are a series of strikes. And these strikes, although caused by usual, just normal, run-of-the-mill industrial unrest, these strikes are seen as being organised by the Communists, organised by the Socialists, and being an attack on the American way of life. This immediately starts people looking for the Reds under the bed, for these spies, these these alien saboteurs who are attacking America. Then you do get some anarchists and some socialists who take matters into their own hands, who act as terrorists, and one attempt on the life of the Attorney-General palmer leads to a series of raids and crackdowns throughout 1920 where they're attempting to arrest and take in communist anarchist socialist radical sympathizers there are hundreds of thousands of arrests but very few convictions because most of the people who are picked up are harmless political radicals who are no more likely to go out throwing a bomb than you or i but there is something in the air there is a fear. And this fear is exacerbated by the new waves of immigration. These non-white, non-Anglo-Saxon, non-Protestant people coming in. And the experience of these immigrants varies widely. You get some who are treated well, who settle in well. And then you get others who are forced to come face-to-face with the most horrific prejudice on a daily basis. But as a general rule, there are some things that all immigrants during the early years of the 20th century will share when they arrive in America. Firstly, the language barrier. Although you get some legal requirements for people to be literate, that doesn't necessarily mean they can speak or read English. That being the case, they are more likely to cluster together with other people who speak the same language. This creates little enclaves, little neighbourhoods, which are organised along ethnic lines. Little Italy, Chinatown. Things of that ilk. As a general rule, you also find that immigrants end up taking the lower-paid jobs. And although they take those jobs jobs that Americans aren't necessarily going to want to do, a lot of Americans see this as a threat and think that these jobs are being taken away from them. They operate on the assumption that it's a zero-sum game. They don't realise that the more people there are in the country, the more jobs are required in service industries and the public sector and things like that. They just see that somebody has arrived and got a job, so they assume that is one less job for Americans. So working class Americans blame immigrants if they cannot find work. This ill feeling towards immigrants continues to build throughout the 1920s and you start to see it in legislation. In 1921, the Immigrant Quota Act, the Emergency Quota Act is brought in. And that basically limits the number of people from different nationalities based on the number of people from that nationality who were in America in 1910. So, let's say that the amount is 10%. If there were 100,000 poles in America in the 1910 census, 10% of that number will be allowed in in 1921. In total, the complete number of all immigrants allowed in is capped. No more than this number in total is allowed. Once we hit that number, everybody's out. This, however, doesn't do enough to satisfy those elements of the political right that are calling for more control over immigration. And you'll see this throughout the 1920s. You can never control immigration enough to satisfy those people who want immigration controlled. Any immigration is too much because it is noticeable, because these people look different. So the outcome of this is 1924 and the National Origins Act. This takes the quota system from 1921 and then reduces it by reducing it from 3% to 2%, but also shifting the census date from 1910 to 1890. And the reason for that is that there were many, many fewer non-Europeans in America in 1890. So not only has the percentage dropped, but the number from which the percentage is derived has now been changed to a lower number. This has, again, a huge impact, but still not enough. So by 1929, the total number of immigrants is limited to 150,000. Northern and Western European immigrants are allocated 85% of all total places. The main idea here is to restrict immigration from Japan, from China, and from Southern Europe. And... By 1930, immigration from those places to America has virtually stopped. So you can say that these immigration controls that were passed throughout the 1920s were successful in their aim, because the main aim of them is to keep out anybody who is not a wasp. If you live in a modern Western democracy, and you are white it's very difficult for you to get your head around what it's like to live in a situation where the entire system is rigged against you. There is certainly some class-based prejudice in England that you'll come up against, but that's not the same as the systematic prejudice facing various people at different points in history. So in order to help us understand how it works when the entire system is set up to disadvantage you. We're going to have a look at a case study. And the case study we're going to look at is Sacco and Vanzetti. For the rest of this podcast, I'm going to call Sacco Sacco because his name is spelled S A C C O and I want you to get the spelling right. And I'm concerned that if I call him Sacco, you'll end up spelling it with a H. So, Sacco and Vanzetti are two Italian immigrants, both of them anarchists, that is, political radicals, the kind of people who would definitely fall under the heading of Reds. On the 15th of April 1920, Fred Parmenter is the paymaster of a shoe factory, and he rocks up with the payroll. Remember, this is a period before electronic funds transfer, When people get paid, they line up on a Friday and their money is handed to them in a brown envelope. So every Friday, every factory is absolutely loaded with cash. And that makes them a very attractive target for criminals. And that is what happens in South Braintree at the shoe factory where Fred Parmenter is the paymaster. He is robbed by two men. Shots are fired... Fred Parmenter is injured, as is the armed guard who is with him. $15,000 is stolen. Fred Parmenter survives long enough to give a description of the two men, and the only real description he can give is that they were foreign-looking with olive skin. On the 5th of May 1920, two Italian-born labourers, Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti, are arrested. And they are charged with the murder of Parmetta and the guard. Now, both of them are self-confessed anarchists. At the time of the arrest, they act suspiciously. And also, they're carrying guns. This, to the police, is enough to ensure that they are very definitely guilty. And so, in May 1921, they are placed on trial. Under the auspices of Judge Webster Thayer. The trial lasts for 45 days. And at the end of those 45 days, the jury retires to consider its verdict. The evidence they consider is really pretty light. There are around 61 eyewitnesses who come forward to say that Sacco and Vanzetti are the men. However, most of those eyewitnesses really only suggest that, well, they look Italian, like the guys that did it. So that eyewitness testimony is not exactly compelling. There is some ballistic evidence matching the gun that the men were carrying when they were arrested to the gun that was used. However, again, it's lacking in detail, and it has to be said. Ballistics evidence is very, very easy to falsify if the police service is desperate for a conviction. One other piece of evidence is that Vanzetti has a previous conviction for armed robbery from december 1919 and what is the evidence that the defence offers up well very simple a hundred and seven people swear that sacco and vanzetti were somewhere else at the time of the crime but most of those are recent italian immigrants and they don't speak very good english the prosecution witnesses aren't agreeing on the details. They can't even agree on what the men were wearing at the time of the crime. And quite a lot of those have changed their evidence by the time you reach the trial. The thing about them carrying the gun, it's not a crime to carry a gun. And the two men have expressed a lot of concern about being attacked because of their political beliefs. So that's why they carried a gun. And finally, when they were being arrested, the reason they say that they were acting suspiciously is because they thought they might be victimised because they were foreigners and because they had radical political beliefs. The jury retires to consider the verdict. They take one day to come back with the verdict. Guilty. And then it turns over to Judge Thayer, who comes back and sentences Sacco and Vanzetti to death by electrocution in the electric chair. There is an interesting quote which is reported to be something that Judge Thayer said after the trial, and apparently what he said was, Did you see what I did to those anarchistic bastards the other day? He's also, apparently during the course of the trial, supposed to have referred to them as dagoes and sons of bitches. This is not a man who is tolerant and welcoming of immigrants. Sacco and Vanzetti go through the appeals process which lasts until 1927 so for six years they sit on death row awaiting the final decision and in 1927 the final decision arrives and the two men are told that the sentence stands and they will be executed and so they are led to the electric chair and they die Sacco and Vanzetti were very probably not guilty of the crime they were arrested for. They were, however, guilty of being radicals. They were guilty of being anarchists, and perhaps more damningly, they were guilty of being foreign. They were arrested at the height of the Red Scare. They were arrested at a time when America was deeply deeply convinced that there were immigrants who were out to destroy America. Sacco and Vanzetti were basically sacrificial lambs to a system that was determined to ensure that immigrants were kept in their place. Think about the levels on which the system has to be prejudiced against you in order for you to find yourself arrested charged, tried, found guilty, and sentenced to death on that flimsy evidence. Firstly, the police have to be prejudiced enough to arrest you based on a very vague description, purely because they know who you are, and because you look foreign, and because your politics is dangerous. Then, you have to be charged by the attorney who has to stand for election. So he has a reason to court public favour by being seen to be hard on immigrants and be seen to be hard on radicals. And once he has decided to charge you, you then go to trial. In the trial, you are found guilty by 12 jurors. Now remember, to serve on the jury, you must be on the electoral register. That means you must be an American citizen, so there will be no recent immigrants. Most of them will have to be property-owning. So most of them will be white, and most of them will be relatively wealthy. They are not going to be sympathetic to radical anarchists, and they are also not going to look at you and see you as one of their own. They will look at you and see you as different. So then you are found guilty. And your fate is turned over to a judge. A judge who has referred to you as Dagos. A judge who has referred to you as anarchistic bastards. And he decides to make an example of you. But then, even then, having been found guilty, you can appeal. Six years of appeals... However many judges in however many courts heard the same evidence heard the same details and still upheld judge thayer's sentence and so finally at the end sacco and vanzetti are led to the electric chair knowing probably that they are innocent but knowing that the system in which they live the american system is so prejudiced against People with radical political beliefs. So prejudiced against people from a southern European background that they had no chance whatsoever of getting away with their lies. And so they died. Now, you're not going to get asked a question on Sacco and Vanzetti, but you can use them as an example to talk about any of the things we've talked about. Because had Sacco and Vanzetti been wasps, they would never have been arrested in the first place. If they had been arrested, they probably wouldn't have been charged. If they had been charged, they probably wouldn't have been found guilty. And if they had been found guilty, the chances are, they wouldn't have been sentenced to death. You can use it to talk about the fact that they had no jobs. They were basically working as labourers. You can talk about the fact that they had no political pull in the system. There was nobody to speak for them. There's no politicians who are going out of their way to get the votes of recent Italian immigrants because they can't vote. There are no public defenders. There are no district attorneys who are willing to chase that vote because, again, they're not represented. And this... Prejudice, this systematic prejudice, can be seen throughout a lot of the experiences that immigrants from southern and eastern Europe have in America in the 1920s. It's there in the bullying at work, it's there in the abuse shouted at them in the street, it's there in the random acts of violence or vandalism that made their lives just that little more difficult, and also. Caused them to pull closer together, to close ranks, to shut themselves away in their own little enclaves, which again bred suspicion and dislike in the wider community. There's quite a lot to digest there about the experience of immigrants, and rather than treating it as one discrete part. I think you should have a look at how it relates to all the other things we've talked about. So what is the experience of immigrants in the economic boom? What's the experience of immigrants in the way that society is changing? It is no surprise, I would suggest, that when we come to look at prohibition, that you find that it's immigrant communities who tend to seize the opportunities presented by prohibition. Because they've not been left with many other avenues to better themselves. So, look at the experience of immigrants. Look at how they are living. Look at how they are surviving. And look at how they are being treated. And if you're ever in doubt as to what it felt like, remember Sacco and Vanzetti, where the entire system is turned against them. And that is what it means to be an immigrant in 1920s America. Thank you very much for listening. Good luck in your exams.